Welcome to Money in the Air, the music podcast about neighboring rights, the royalties you earn from the public performance of your recordings and the business of music in general. Brought to you by IFR, the International Association for Artists and Rights Holders. I'm Andrew, a royalty consultant helping artists to collect on their value. Hi, I'm Gina Deacon. I work for Absolute Rights Management and I work with record labels and artists to ensure we claim the royalty income due to them. I'm Stacey Haber and I'm from Inside Baseball Music Publishing. Welcome back to Money in the Air. Today we're going to discuss the rights holder royalty. First thing everyone should know is that the rights holder is the person who owns the recording. It can be a label, it can be an artist, it can be a combination of both. It's whatever is agreed and usually it's whoever pays for it. Yeah. If you own the Soundmaster copyright to a recording, the onus is on you to ensure that you register that repertoire. If you don't register it, then you're not only putting yourself in a position where you wouldn't earn the income from usage of that recording, but anybody that else that's actually also performed on that recording can't claim their share either. So the responsibility is with you to ensure that that recording is registered. That's a good point. If the rights holder never registers it, the performers will never collect in most territories. Speaking of collecting, how is the income broken down from the performer to the rights owner at the societies? Generally speaking, it's 50% goes to the rights holder. It depends on each territory. Every territory is different. But generally speaking, it's a roughly a 50-50 split between performers and the rights holder. The performer's share is then split again differently, depending on who's actually performed and the category of the performer. But as we're focusing here on the rights holder, then you're really looking at a 50% share for the rights holder. And the logic there is that the performers are due 50%, so the record labels are not getting all of the income. It's to make sure that the artists are receiving a share of income, so the income is not just going to one place. And the rights holders also will need to be a member of a collection society as well, because that's how they can then enter their data onto the collection society database. So that's the most important thing is to join as a member, as a rights holder member, to then ensure that you can input your data or somebody can input it for you if you don't wish to become a member. And you can do that for both videos and audio. When you register the recordings and the releases on the rights holder side, it's so much easier for the performer to go in and claim the recording rather than having to input all the information from scratch. And you can't use the same email address you use as a performer. So you oh, need really? a different, yeah. I had that with one of my students today. Wow. Yeah. I suppose maybe they relay things per email address and therefore an individual artist and you're not a label as such, but you're a rights holder, you can still join PPL as a rights holder and you can just come up with a rights holder name. It doesn't have to be a legal company entity as such it can just be john smith records for example right legal entity you're still a legal entity as a sole trader if it's just you no matter what the name is if it's you and somebody else you are a partnership even if you don't have a written agreement you're just not corporate unless you are incorporated in some form either as a limited company 
limited liability corporation, limited liability partnership. So you're always a legal entity, even if it's just you. Another thing to mention, which Gina had mentioned previously about retroactive adjustments and back claims specifically for the rights holder. What is the consequence of not registering your works from an income perspective? Out on income for the year or years in which that you haven't registered your recordings. So PPL, for example, have a cutoff of the end of the year. It's not strictly end of year. It's not 31st of December. It's actually 30th of January. So you get almost a year plus one month to do so. But they are very strict after that date. So if, for example, you released a recording in 2021, you have until the 30th of January 2022 to ensure that your recording or repertoire is registered on their database. If you have had a lot of usage and a lot of airplay in 2021, then it's vital that you do so. And I would suggest doing it as soon as you release that recording to avoid missing out and to ensure that it's there for usage as well. What do you advise your students? How soon after? Or what, what is the process after they release a recording, after they record a recording? What would you usually tell them? I advise them, and I advise clients too, that as soon as the recording is started, to register the recording, and then once it's released, or you know the release date, then you go and register the release, and then have the performers, once it's out, go and claim their performances. Because it's not done till it's done. Until it's actually out, the lineup isn't set. So you don't know who's going to get cut. So that's why I do it in that order. But I wouldn't have them wait. Once you start the recording, register the recording. You can always add the musicians and change it when you register the release of the recording. So we don't wait, but literally as soon as it's released, we try and tie in with the release date just to ensure it's there. Because if somebody wants to use the recording... Uh, for sinks, etc., they will look on the PPL database and if they can't find it there, they, they won't actually be able to use it. So you do have until the end of the year to register it, but my advice is to do it literally in line with the actual release of that recording. That's a really good point because if you don't register the recording, you're not eligible for the blanket licenses here. So you're excluded from blanket licensing to everywhere and you're missing out on that income because it's not within their database. That's right. BBC, ITV, Channel 4, Channel 5, Sky, all of them. Yep. They, they will try and if they can't source your repertoire on the database, they will actually contact us, for example, if they feel we're associated with a recording to try and trace the label to register it if we possibly can in any way. So always do it as soon as you possibly can. One thing that SoundExchange does to get around this is they separate it, this into two buckets where they have repertoire, which is works that you've directly registered and claimed. And then they also have another bucket of broadcast, which is recordings that are played by Pandora satellite radio, and they report it to Sound Exchange. And sometimes they match it to your account, and sometimes they don't. And that bucket's called broadcast, but it's their way of ensuring that sometimes when that income is paid to Sound Exchange, it's matched to your account. That doesn't exempt you from not going into their system and claiming your works as a rights holder. That's good. That's really good. But as you say, not foolproof. And it's your job if you own the recording. So do it. <laughs> Don't be lazy. Will Sound Exchange pay the performer if the rights holder has not registered the recording? Under broadcast. So it's the same scenario. But broadcast for the performer means 
that they're going to divvy out the shares for every single featured performer at the same share, which is not correct. So if all three of us are featured artists, we're going to be broken down to equal shares, but that not, might not be correct. That might not be contractually what we agreed on. I think people need to understand there's, there's quite often a lot of confusion about what an ISRC code is, and that's one of the most important things that somebody needs to register their recording. When you join PPL as a rights holder member, you will be given what's called a registrant code by PPL, which is a unique identifier to your own um, account, your own membership. And it's from that then that you can actually generate your own ISRC codes. So it's identifiable by the first two fields are the country from where your account is held. So for example, with PPL, you would get UK. Then you get your unique three, either digital or alphanumeric code. It's so you might get UK XYZ, for example. And then from then on, you create your own codes depending on the year of recording. Every one of your recordings will have its own unique ISRC code. And that is input at the time that you enter your release recordings when you are entering data into the database, the data on the PPL system is only as good as the data that you input. I have witnessed so many typos, so many errors, and there must be so much missed income because people just cannot source. They don't know what the ISRC code is. They're trying to source the artist's name and it's not been put in how they think it should be put in. The title is wrong all sorts of different reasons. So the most important thing is make sure the data that you enter into the database is clean, correct and good, and then everybody can work with it going forward. I've seen several different spellings of band or artist names. And if you don't check every conceivable spelling, you're right, you miss income. If you're a self-releasing artist, you won't have your ISRC code when you begin recording. You'll only have it once you schedule the release. So that's when you would enter the information as the rights holder. But someone who's um, a label and generates their own ISRC codes, they'll know it prior to an actual release schedule. And if you own your own label and you're distributing your works through a distributor, your distributor, at least in the US, will give you your unique ISRC codes per recording. And that's yeah. where you would typically get them if you were an independent um, record label owner. DistroKid, TuneCore, any of these services, aggregators um, would work. And just to add, the data is how you guys are going to get paid. So we cannot stress this enough that the accuracy and the cleanliness of your data, how you put it out there, will translate into your dollars. And that's one of the main points that we're trying to get at today. Don't forget to go to the IFR website, www.iafar.co.uk and become a member.